Be part of an innovative fine arts community immersed in a top research university. Carnegie Mellon University's School of Music's world-class vocal department constantly works at the cutting edge of musical art forms. CMU performance faculty are creating projects that leverage musicians' skill sets in unique and applicable ways. Students are challenged to think outside the box as they engage with non-traditional performance spaces, collaboration with electronics, and improvisation, alongside a robust program of traditional studies, languages, recitals, and operas. To learn more about Carnegie Mellon University and to apply, visit the link in the show notes of this episode. This is So Lit Song Lit, a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative, where we reimagine the repertoire by introducing less familiar art songs through sound clips and lively discussion. I'm vocal coach Ellen Rissinger. And I'm soprano Tony Marie Palmertree. Join us as we explore this exciting repertoire. So Lit, So Lit, reimagining the repertoire. Our guest today is New York City-based coach Susan Morton, who also runs Sing Through Central. And we're talking about the Donaudi 36-36 Arie di Stile Antico, because most of us have probably sung or heard O Del Mio Amato Ben, and maybe not much more than that. Yeah, the hidden jewels that are about to be revealed, everyone. <laughs> exactly. But Sing Through Central worked through these songs. So, Susan, talk to us a little bit about uh, why you chose them and what you learned from working on them. Well, when I started doing my homework to figure out who was this guy, turns out, you know, that he's Sicilian and his brother wrote the words and he didn't write much else, you know, but he mostly was a master of the short form. And what he did to make these really interesting was, as you notice from the title, Are Antique, and then you start looking at each of the offerings, and they all have a description in a word. Is this a canzone? Is this an aria? Is this a canzonetta? Is this a frottola? Yeah, ballatella is one of them, I think. And I looked at it, and I was like, what is that? Right? Because the only ballatella that most people ever even heard of is Neda's. It turns out a lot of them are dance form derived. So, like, we know Siciliana for example, is a slow 6-8, and it's usually in a minor key, and it has come to be something of a lament, which we can see Handel and other people using famously. And so he harked back to these forms and these, I want to say, fragrances, because when he says Siciliana, you get that, but you're not going back to exactly Baroque harmonies or melodic shapes. These are super, super wear your heart on your sleeve Italian crossing 19th to early 20th century things. I just made my way through these and was just insanely intrigued by how much variety and how much detail he was able to put into these. And everyone is agendas. None of them that are bad. It's just a question of how many can you program at once. There are mischievous ones. There are young love ones. There's even a duet. There are a couple that I would think, oh, my God, what's that doing there? People who are angry, people who are militant, and you're thinking, what is that all about? But it's couched in terms of love as war. He has all kinds of quick reverses. He has all kinds of quick 
evaded cadences, but he's so clever and he's so inventive. And then you get the refrain that everybody can sing and then the unexpected B section, which goes into a minor strain. I mean, he's really packed a lot into the, there's a lot of depth here that people don't know. And it's not because, you know, the big ones that we know aren't gorgeous, but you start looking at that and you think, oh, what am I missing here? And actually, Tony said something to me just before we got on this interview about singing Italian song in general in the language, right? Yeah, you know, when I was introduced to these songs, I was in college, which I won't even disclose when that was. <laughs> but anyway, you know, now looking at these pieces as a professional singer, I've worked with coaches that have opened my eyes to that you start with the text first, and that solves so many of, of the problems in a piece. Also, the language ends up speaking for itself. The notes sing themselves because you have the rhythm of the language. And that, in in turn, becomes so operatic. And you get a chance as, as an artist to really say something and make some art. Exactly. And I love that you talk about it as an opera. For me, as a pianist, looking at it on the page, it looks very much like Puccini. Mm. Like, I have Amorosi Miei Giorni up. And in the first measure, we have Pianissimo, Dolcemente, Crescendo, Decrescendo, Piano, Sentito. We have so many different markings and that is so Puccini-esque. He oh, tells yeah. you what he want in every single measure and almost on every single note and it's all coming from the language. Yes. No, I agree and I think, you know, just um, going back to what Tony said, there are a lot of pieces that we encounter for the first time as a young singer and clearly there are layers to be excavated by going back to or spending more time with the poetry and all of that that you can't expect the 22-year-old to do, except in extraordinary circumstances. And since we're talking about young singers, if the keys don't feel right, I would be hard-pressed to find a reason that these could not be transposed. I think it's not, in these songs, it's not about a color, it's about the chord structure. So as long as that's preserved. I can't imagine that these guys would have been, you know, too starchy about that, you, t you know? Absolutely. I mean, we do this type of thing in musical theater all the time, and we were constantly transposing pieces so it fits that particular person's voice. So I say we just get rid of that stigma that we don't do it in classical music. I mean, come on. You know, I mean, the thing about it is, is that these all work. As you said, I mean, Puccini really edits his stuff, as does Massenet. I mean, there's a few composers who go, I want it just like this and not like that. And, you know, we ignore them, I wouldn't say at our peril, because, you know, they haven't come to haunt us. But, you know, you, you're better off thinking about why would he ask for this specifically? What can we do to justify that? And it's really interesting, as, a, as somebody who's spoken Italian for a really long time, um, I'm very fond of ignoring bar lines and finding the word in the sentence that I can really make the juiciest. Hmm. And come to find out, then you go like, wow, he tenutoed that, or he he put it on a high note, or he, he made it on a downbeat. He gave us clues to what to do to love it up a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and just to go back to examples, uh, I'm still looking at Amorosi Miei Giorni, and if we're looking at the second system, at the end, we have the E profumo ai pensieri, and we have a tempo for one beat. Meno for two, three beats, retardando on these short notes. 
and then an tempo. So on these 30 second notes, I think the whole point of it is that he doesn't want it to be fast. Oh, yeah, and it's on the word pensieri, so so perfect for that. Exactly. I mean, for pianists, too, because they have to participate in the process of knowing why we're slowing or different colors or different moods. And it's such a great exercise for both artists to work together and figure these things out, whether they're student pianists or coaches uh, or professionals. Yeah. And I think one of the big challenges for the pianist as well is that you want all of these ebb and flow surging moments and i don't mean surging like super fast but changing of directions when you think of the seashore you want them to happen sort of seamlessly never come to a dead stop and then go backwards i mean it's not this is really hard because you usually have to set it up ahead with what i call the invisible retard the Mm. retard before the retard the one that's written and then the one that you know that you have to start putting on the brakes. The idea is that when you're moving faster and, you know, this whole thing, the more you're speeding up, the more you speed up. I think it's some law of physics somewhere. But, you know, on the middle of the second page there, I think, I don't know if you have the same book as me, but in the Amorosi, um, Sol con questa speranza. And then it's sostenuto indugiando, smorzando, and dolcissimo. You know, it's kind of got like six markings in one measure. The same kind of thing happens in Freschi Luoghi. I mean, if you're looking at the first page, in the second system, we have crescendo e animando. We have at the bottom of the page, allargando, sostenuto. Um, when you turn the page, mosso, calando, e diminuendo. He gives you all of these things. And I think it illustrates exactly the point that you're trying to make, which is that he wants to give you license to enjoy this. Mm-hmm. Right. No, I, I, I think you're absolutely right to say that and i think in every single song amongst you know all of them and just you know the ones that we've talked about today the only time it ever gets into a deeper mood is when we get to freschi luoghi prati aulenti you know we're talking about the youthful part of the year and then we go to l'estate and l'autunno and then we say la morte stagione so we all guess that that must be winter and it all happens in the space of a couple of lines mm-hmm. whoa it suddenly got really deep in here the other nice thing about this one is that purely from the standpoint of a vocalese 
It's got this scalar motion that gets you up into the top, which, of course, is very important for a singer. Oh, yeah. Anytime you're working on a phrase that goes stepwise or even half a step, you know, up a scale, that's pretty challenging for a singer. And this is a great opportunity to work through some of those things in your vocal technique. making sure, you know, your voice stays even. All of those things are, as you say, they they really encourage that kind of coaxing along so you feel like you can do it with lots of control so that at the top of page two, Tolga is mosso and then, and the ga tanto magico splendor, and you go, ah, we're coming to a rest. Mm-hmm. And then we have a B section. And just to contrast, uh, in... In, if we go to Amor Mi Tiene Un Puño, I mean, in, in Freschi Luoghi, we had a lot of scalar passages, but in Amor Mi Tiene Un Puño, we have a lot of arpeggios. Oh, yes. This one is so hard to begin because it's just kind of like, boom, drop the flag and off you go. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of a vocalise. Well, the thing about this is the playfulness and the mischievousness Amor Mi Tiene Un Puño so love has grabbed me in his fist. You know, it's like, right? Mi gira, mi gira, mi gira, manusa, e poi sospira. He smells me. He spits me. Manusa. You know, it's kind of like, who, who talks like that? <laughs> and then he sighs. So it's kind of like, I found you, you little morsel. And it's so, you're so delicious. And that's the moment that we get an allargando and a ritenuto. And then a fermata. And then to come out of it, because he's not done making the joke, I make a brutto segno, which is totally like a reversal. You'd never expect to hear that. If we look at the tregua non ho, it seems like, you know, it's very melodic. And then it goes up and it turns around and it comes down. It goes up and it turns around and it comes back. And each one is a little higher and a little more manic, if I might say. I mean, the words just go and go and go. And he's basically saying, love is persecuting me. And I, you know, I have no relief, night or day. And I'm, and the music does that too. It's like, where do we breathe? Right. <laughs> and you will find the place, but it's, it has to be headlong has to be headlong, you know, and a little more than somewhat manic. Well, and I think the interesting thing here is that if you're looking at the music and not looking at the Italian, you could actually think, oh, I'm coming up to a cadence point, I should slow down. But he's written here very specifically, stringendo, and he wants it to get even more manic before it just stops completely. 
Exactly. And I think in those crazy places where Puccini, to, to come back around again, Puccini wrote, like, don't slow down here. Don't slow down here. I think he was understanding that people's instincts were, in fact, to do that. And he was going, no, 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 no. And so even though it's really hard for us not to, and we probably do a little bit anyway, we don't get all syrupy and, you know, self-indulgent because Puccini would have said not having any of that. Mm-hmm. And of course, he wrote it down just like that. So I really appreciate, Tony, that you're bringing out that contrast right away. Not contrast, that comparison to the Puccini-esque insistence on the editing, but also on being so, so specific hmm. you know, in terms of marrying the text and the music. Is a recording that you do like on Spotify. Yes, Ernesto Palacio is his name. I think he's Peruvian. Samuele Pala is the pianist. And the two of them together are like a match made in heaven because they really were reading each other's minds. It was like, it was magical. I thought, oh my God, I never saw that coming. And yet he made some, he blew a kiss at that spot. He made something really special. And you could do a lot worse than doing a good copy of some of these things. This is what I think. <laughs> totally. And the one thing that I found really interesting was that the pianist actually took some of the, the postludes or the Zwischenspiel, I forget what the word is, uh, interludes. He took some of the interludes from the pieces and created an intro so that it wasn't just starting from nothing. Mm-hmm. The, the amount of thought and you know, musicality and just preparation that went into that was just blew everything else out of the water. Right. I do remember that they are divided into three volumes, but now the latest edition is like including them all in one binding, I think. Yeah. So there are 36 total. And actually our university has the three separate volumes with 12 in each volume. And it also has the one volume with all 36. So you might also find that at your library. Before we finish up, could you tell us a little bit more about Sing Through Central? Sing Through Central started about 17 years ago when I had a client who was studying Zerlina. She came to me after one of our coachings and said, I've never actually done any of the recitatives with anybody else but you. And I said, and I can't change my voice beyond a certain amount. But I went out and I said, let me see if I can rope people into it. And I found everybody else in the cast of Giovanni. So we just got together one day and we read through it. Everybody was wonderful, and the emails flew back and forth. That wow, it was really great to sing with you. And one guy said, "Well, I have to go off and sing Schonard in about six weeks. Anybody up for doing a bohème?" The light bulb went on, mm-hmm. and so with a number of transformations and changes, I've been pulling together casts of people who have been learning their roles or who want to learn a role, and putting them together as a group. People coach things individually. And then they come together and they sing it. And it's basically like that first day of school. Only I don't ask anybody to be off book. I just say, let's just do this. I will be your conductor. And if things are a train wreck, we'll go back. I mean, we've had quite a good run. The thing with the pandemic, though, a lot of the people that I'm seeing now, 
because I see mostly people who are not in school. I'm a New York pianist. I see people who are working, people who have contracts coming up, people who are, I want to say, and forgive me, aspirational. They're still figuring out how to get from that place to a place where they can get work. And it's really hard right now because there aren't a lot of auditions. There aren't, you know, things coming back or coming back very slowly and very timidly. Mm-hmm. So I would like Sing Through Central to go on, but what I see it evolving into is more of a role study group where if you and I work out, you want to learn Giovanni, okay, you got it. I'm going to do my best to find for you other singers who can join you in some of the ensembles. Maybe if you want to learn a Dina, I can find you a tenor. I can find you a baritone. I can find you a bass. Maybe not all at once because that's difficult. But in order to complete the role study, I think it may be a different tactic that's necessary for now because the hardest part always was getting people's schedules together. Yeah, I I think your program has even more use now because with COVID. I mean, we used to say all the time, you know, anything can happen, but now it will happen. Mm-hmm. And singers need to be prepared. They can prepare these roles and they can reach out to companies and say, hey, I, I see that you're doing this and I see that it's cast, but just so you know, I know this. And that happens for singers a lot where they just drop in. It certainly has happened to me in many instances in my career with a last minute drop in that can make a career. Our guest today was Susan Morton of Sing Through Central. Musical performances for this episode were performed by Tony Marie and Ellen and recorded at the Camp Recording Studio in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania. Purchase information for the scores discussed in this episode are available in the show notes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find this podcast. Episodes drop every first, third, and fifth Thursday of the month. So Lit Songlet is a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative. You can learn more about their network of podcasts at cincinnatisonginitiative.org slash podcasts. Sonnet, Sonnet, reimagining the repertoire. Are you craving incredible song recitals? Are you interested in a behind-the-scenes view into professional song making at the highest levels of artistry? Are you looking to develop your own artistic and entrepreneurial skills as a classical musician in this ever-changing 21st century landscape? If you found yourself saying yes to any of those questions, look no further than Cincinnati Song Initiative's week-long program, The Fellowship of the Song. Taking place this year from May 19 through 26, The Fellowship brings together some of the country's brightest song performers and teachers for a week of classes, concerts, and study events and we invite you to join us as an auditor, either in person in Cincinnati or online, wherever you may be located. When you join the fellowship as an auditor, you gain instant access to the entire week's events and can go back and relive the magic through HD video recordings of each and every session. To learn more about this incredible new opportunity, visit cincinnatisonginitiative.org audit.